the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Good to have you with us. Welcome those who are joining online. And I would like to thank those who uh, took the challenge, the Matthew 25 challenge, this past week. We had an opportunity together to engage in the teachings of Jesus, and we're reminded that in Matthew 25, Jesus gathered his disciples together, and he told them that at the end of days, at the time of judgment, God's people, his sheep, would be rewarded for things that they had done, ways they had served Christ himself. He told them that they would be serving Jesus by serving their neighbors in need by giving them clothing and food and water, by welcoming strangers into their, into their homes, by visiting the sick and those in prison. Jesus said, you did that for me. And this past week, the Matthew 25 challenge engaged us with one piece of that teaching, one element each day. There were days focused on access to clean water, on the global refugee crisis, food insecurity, and the fact that there are lonely and hurting people pretty much everywhere, including in our homes and in our neighborhoods. And so we use that opportunity to ask God to begin to break our hearts for the things that break his, to open our eyes to both needs and opportunities, the very real needs of our neighbors around us, and the opportunities we have as God's people, as his sheep, as the church, to meet those needs in meaningful ways. As we do the sheep stuff that we as sheep were created and called to do. If we look at the Gospels, we see that so much of what Jesus taught centers on that theme, on that question. The question, what does it look like for the people of God to live in ways that reflect the heart of God? What does that really look like? And this is the crux of this morning's passage that we see from Luke 10. So let me read for us Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. Jesus taught, excuse me, on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey brought him to an inn, 
and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. As we read the Gospels, as we look at the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible, and we listen in on the teachings of Jesus, we'll see that as he taught the crowds, more often than not, he had a pretty mixed response. We see that there were those who seemed to believe right away, who seemed to hang on every word that he was teaching. We see people maybe not yet convinced, stepping back a little bit, maybe a little cynical, but wanting to hear more, wanting to hear more of what this rabbi was teaching. And then we see those who actively opposed Jesus, who seemed to be looking for any opportunity to to trip him up or shoot him down. And in almost every case, this opposition group was made up of those that would be called the, the religious leaders, the experts in the scriptures. And this is the case in this morning's passage, where there's opposition from one who is supposed to have all the answers. Luke says that on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? Now, this is, this is a strikingly sad question that this man asked Jesus that day. This man who was an expert in the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament law, the Hebrew word of God, he asked Jesus a very sad question. Not because of what the question was. In fact, it was an excellent question. Nothing could be more central or pivotal or meaningful than this question of how do we inherit eternal life? How do we walk into the kingdom way of life that God has planned for us? The question was fantastic. But it's the why of this question that makes it so tragic. This expert in the law asked the right question for the wrong reason. Because instead of truly wanting to know what he had to do to inherit eternal life, which seemed to be the question on its face, his goal was to test Jesus. To see if he could find some chink, some error, some opportunity to trip Jesus up and to to prove once and for all that Jesus really wasn't what, who he said to be or what he claimed to be. And I love how Jesus answers this question. I imagine he knew exactly what this man was up to, and so he basically says, well, well, you're the expert. What do you think? He doesn't answer the question right away. And the man actually goes on to give what Jesus says is exactly the right answer. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now clearly this was an excellent answer because it perfectly mirrors the very answer that Jesus gave when he was once asked, well, what's the most important commandment of them all? There are so many. There are hundreds in our scriptures, Jesus. What's central? What's most important? And Jesus used these two exact commandments 
taken from the books of Deuteronomy and Leviticus to demonstrate to the people listening to him the heart of God in the Hebrew Scriptures, what God's people are supposed to be all about. And so when this expert in the law gave that answer, Jesus tells them, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Jesus tells the man he's exactly on the right track. But this man didn't want to be on the right track. This man was there to mess with Jesus. And so he keeps prodding, he keeps poking, he's saying, well, okay, but then who's my neighbor? Again, trying to put Jesus on the spot. And Jesus goes on to tell the story of a man who fell into trouble and violence along the road. And in this story, the two people whom his listeners that day would have assumed were the good guys, a priest and a Levite, both of whom had dedicated their lives to serving in the temple of the Lord, both of them would be disastrous disappointments. These two people whose very lives were centered on religion, on worship of God, fell so far short. Clearly, even if they were somehow trying to love God with all their heart, they were completely failing to love their neighbor as themselves that day. Instead, it's the Samaritan who's the unlikely hero, the role model in this story that Jesus tells. And even as Jesus told this story, imagine that when this character first came on the scene and his listeners heard that a Samaritan was also on the road, they would have sensed a a literal taste of disgust forming on their tongue as they heard about this Samaritan. They might have imagined that this person was going to do something even worse than the previous two had done in their acts of ignoring the man. Maybe they thought the Samaritan was going to go and further abuse this man who had already been beaten and injured. Instead, Jesus says, but this Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus turns to this legal expert and asks him, which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but if you look at this passage and how it unfolds, Jesus actually never answers the man's question. The man asks, well, who is my neighbor? Kind of like, well, who do I need to to worry about? Who's on the list or who's off the list? And Jesus doesn't answer. Instead, he tells this story that asks its own question. This parable, this story that asks the question, what does it look like? to be a neighbor. At Bethany Covenant Church, we say that an essential part of our mission together is to serve our neighbors, both near and far, and to involve other people to join us in those same acts of loving and joyful service. We saw several weeks ago, as we looked at 1 Corinthians 13, that God calls us to the kind of love for our neighbors that will be, they'll be kind and patient Love that will be forgiving and generous and gracious. 
kind of love that will draw us into proximity, closeness with other people, including our neighbors. And then last week in Matthew 25, we saw that even simple acts of love make a difference. And that when we serve our neighbors, we are serving Christ himself. And here in the story in Luke 10, we discover five truths, five characteristics about people who truly choose to be a neighbor to those around them. And first we see from this story that the neighbors have a heart. Jesus said a Samaritan as he traveled came to where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now pity might be a little bit of an uncomfortable word for us. It might sound a little condescending. Maybe you've had somebody say, you know what, I don't need your pity. I don't want your pity. But the point that Jesus is making here is that when the Samaritans saw this man, unlike the others who also noticed him, this Samaritan cared about the man in need. His heart was moved in a way that apparently hadn't happened with the priest or the Levite. The Samaritan cared and he found his heart filled with concern for this man. And so because of this, he responded. We see that neighbors respond. Jesus said he went to him He bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Neighbors, as they find their hearts moved, are then moved to response. Last week, we saw that the sheep in Jesus' teaching about the sheep and the goats at the end of time were commended and rewarded not because they saw people in need, not because they felt bad when they saw people in need, but actually because they responded in very tangible ways. The Samaritan uses whatever he has, whatever he happens to have among his supplies on the donkey to help the man to respond however he can in that moment of need. And then we see that his response doesn't stop there. Jesus says, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And so Jesus teaches here that to be a neighbor means that we're going to need to be willing to be inconvenienced to be inconvenienced. It was one thing for this Samaritan to stop along the side of the road and to do what he can. Maybe in our day and age, that would mean we we pull over if we see somebody broken down on the side of the road. We get out, we help them change a tire, we share our jumper cables if they need a jump. But this man was willing to have his entire day and night and next day completely reorganized as he cared for the man in need. He found his schedule completely disrupted, but he said yes, as a neighbor. And Jesus, as he continues the story, says the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And here we see two more characteristics of good neighbors. First, we see that neighbors are generous. The Samaritan plunks down two days' wages, maybe a couple hundred dollars in today's money, and tells the innkeeper, don't spare any expense. Now, we don't have any idea whether this was sacrificial for the Samaritan. We don't know if he was rich and it was just a trifle or if he had to dig deep to come up with this money. We have to remember, this is a story Jesus told. They aren't real people. And so we can focus on the fact that Jesus tells us what we need to know. And clearly here in the story, we see that Jesus is saying to be a neighbor is to be a person of generosity. 
The Samaritan made sure that the hurting man's needs were met. And then this, he told the innkeeper, I'm going to come back. I'm going to check in. The Samaritan makes a point to check back in to see how the injured man is doing, to see if there's any other way that he can help. Clearly, he cares for this man. His caring heart leads him to a thorough response that leads him through continued inconvenience, that leads him toward expanding generosity, leads him to a desire to follow up and to follow through for this neighbor. And so as we seek to serve our neighbors, both near and far, as we endeavor to be Samaritan-style neighbors to those around us, we're going to have opportunities to love and serve our neighbors in, in all these ways, to find God growing a heart in us, to be moved to respond, to be more willing to be inconvenienced, to find our, our hands loosened in growing generosity, and then to make sure we circle back and stay connected to our neighbors. Not just to check a box because we're doing what we think God calls us to do, but actually to begin to journey with our neighbors over the long haul. We'll have these opportunities right here in our own neighborhoods. And this morning, we also have an opportunity to be this kind of neighbor to a child across the globe in the Democratic Republic of Congo. You may be aware that the Evangelical Covenant Church has been involved in mission and ministry in the Congo for, for about 75 years. It's a long-standing partnership and relationship. The Covenant Church in Congo is strong. In fact, its members outnumber those in the United States. There's a deep history and connection here. And since 1984, World Vision has also been active, serving and ministering in Congo. And for the past 10 years, these organizations have been collaborating in a project called Covenant Kids Congo. As together they focus on projects that address the root causes of poverty in that very impoverished place. Projects include clean water, sanitation initiatives, expanded educational opportunities, medical care and training, equipping parents so they can give their lives, they can give their kids lives filled with hope. And in all of this, the message of the love of God through Jesus Christ is front and center as both the Covenant Church and World Vision are explicitly Christian organizations ministering in the name of Jesus in that place. And all of this too, the goal is sustainability. The goal is actually for Covenant Kids Congo to, to work itself out of a job in those places, to use local leadership, local resources, so that together the, the community might find sustainable solutions for themselves and so that Covenant Kids Congo can then move to other regions, which is exactly what has happened over the past 10 years. I'm going to show you a map of where this work is located in Congo. In Central Africa, actually one of the most remote places on earth, it's very difficult to do ministry here. But together, this partnership has been powerfully effective. The most the strongest funding source for Covenant Kids Congo has come through individual child sponsorships, where children in communities in need have been linked to mission and ministry partners all around the world, those who are willing to invest in the life of a child. 
And as these investments are made, they actually go toward entire communities. So that as one child is sponsored, they have found that it actually impacts the lives of about four more children. As one child and family is invested in, it's not just that that one child is now clothed and fed and given access to clean water, but so are his or her siblings and neighbors as community development projects emerge because of sponsorship dollars through Covenant Kids Congo. Now, you might be familiar with child sponsorship. In fact, I just want to ask, are there any child sponsors here, people who have said yes to, to sponsoring a child? Thank you. This is a, a model that has existed for decades, and it's been effective. About three years ago, World Vision did something um, really incredible and really powerful. They actually decided to flip the script on child sponsorship. They decided to empower the voices of children. And I want you to take a look at the video that describes what happened when they did. In the heart of downtown Chicago, hundreds gathered who wanted to sponsor a child through World Vision. But unlike so many sponsorship events before, this one was a bit unexpected. Instead of having people choose a kid from a set of photos, like sponsorship's been done for decades, we did something that we've never done before. Now, the choice is theirs. The choice to take hold of their future, to pursue their God-given gifts, to become change makers in their communities, and even the choice to step into a life-changing relationship with you. I've seen that about 20 times, and uh, it still gets me. It's just so incredible. When I first heard about this model, I thought, why didn't they do that sooner? Like, why didn't somebody think of this sooner? You know how now you can open a package of Oreos, like with that lift-off, tear-off thing? You're like, 
where has this been for decades? This is way better. This is way more important than a liftoff package of Oreos. But it's so stunningly powerful and beautiful that kids have been empowered. Their voices have been empowered to make a difference. And friends, we get to do this this week. We get to do exactly what you have seen uh, in that video, to say yes to being chosen, to saying yes to being chosen and invited into a child's life. And I'll tell you a little bit how, how that's going to work. This picture that you see uh, is from when my family uh, said yes to being chosen. This was at, uh, at the last church I served at in Minnesota. It actually was the, uh, the first covenant church to say yes to the chosen campaign. And uh, as my family and I thought about it, we recognized that we were already sponsoring a young girl named Antho in the Congo through Covenant Kids Congo, um, but we, we couldn't, couldn't say no to the opportunity to say yes to being chosen. And so Rochelle uh, chose us. And uh, the way this had been set up originally is I was scheduled to actually be among a group of pastors to get on a plane go to Congo, be there for the choosing party, see the work of Covenant Kids Congo uh, firsthand, and then come back with, with these kinds of pictures. Well, that was March of 2020. So you can imagine what happened to those plans. But we still got to do um, our chosen campaign in the church. The choosing parties still happened in Congo. And so all of us who participated received uh, a week later a picture of, this, of a child holding our, our photo, knowing that they, had, that they had chosen us. And so we get to do this this week, whether you're here in person or joining online. Those of you in person have these cards. I invite you to take a look at it. Online, we have a, a slide. If you would like to say yes uh, to doing this, which literally means um, that you are gonna submit a photo today that will appear in a choosing party uh, in Congo this week, it'll be Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, then I invite you to do this. To text Bethany to the number 56170. Those of you who took the Matthew 25 challenge this past week, that's actually the same number, so if you've been getting that stream, you can just text Bethany uh, right back to that same number, and you'll be prompted through what it means to enter into this incredible relationship with a child in Congo. Part of that prompt, uh, part of the series of events you're prompted to will be submitting your photo, which you can do as you take a selfie today or as you send in a file picture or we would love to take your picture at a photo booth we have set up as you exit the lobby this morning. This all has to happen by nine o'clock tonight. That is a firm deadline. So uh, if you need some time to think about it, pray about it, consider it over the uh, over the course of the day, talk to somebody about it, please do, but know that nine o'clock is the deadline because literally tonight at nine o'clock, uh, World Vision, Covenant Kids Congo staff will begin to uh, get our photos ready and get them sent to the Congo so they can be printed and ready for the choosing party later this week. I want you to take a look at, at another video, this time uh, showing the story of two people, one who said yes to being chosen and one who was given the, the voice to choose. Right. 
sound sweet? So all you have to do is just tell me all your secrets, <laughs> social security number. I'm going to start sweating. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> it's been a tough season for me. It's been a tough season. Just in November, I had surgery unexpectedly. Thankfully, you know, all went well. I'm recuperating from that. But I just feel that that really has shown that there are so many things bigger than us. I'm grateful that even in this season, I haven't lost hope. God is showing up in big ways and small ways um, to remind me that I am loved and that I matter. Many people have invested in me. And if I can do a small part to share that with other people, I'm all for it. I actually just want to show you a little bit of okay. what we did last week. So just have a look at this. Sounds good. Hello, Inka. Kwa majina naitwa Merinzioki. Niko na miaka 9. Nikiwa shuleni napenda kusoma English. How are you? We are fine. Wow. She's beautiful. She wants to be a lawyer? Why is it amazing that she wants to be a lawyer? What's the connection? I'm a lawyer. <laughs> what does it feel like to be chosen? It feels wonderful and it feels like a God thing. We are so connected in, in the sense that through God we're intertwined and we all have a, an opportunity to love on one another and to support one another. I even feel like it's giving me big shoes to fill in terms of, you know, being a great example for her, knowing that she saw something in me and, you know, want, wants to partner together in life. So she's giving me a lot. So again, I really want to invite you to consider this opportunity, this invitation seriously. Um, we get to do this. And again, as you text that, uh, that name Bethany to 56170, you'll be guided through the prompts. It'll explain uh, that you're making a commitment of $39 a month to go to that sponsored child uh, as you begin that relationship with him or her. But again, that money will bless the entire family, the entire community where that child lives. And then next week will be our Reveal Sunday. Everyone who says yes to being chosen this week will come in and uh, you'll find a packet and you'll receive a photo of a child in Congo holding your picture and you'll find out who chose you. If you're joining online, participating online, uh, just know that everyone, whether they sign up in person or online, will receive an email next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. from Covenant Kids Congo and it will contain the same packet and information about how to uh, begin a relationship with the child who chose you. 
And if you're familiar with child sponsorship, you know that a lot of it does involve building a relationship. Often it's been through letter writing, and often those letters take months to go back and forth. Uh, and great strides have been made in that area as well, where you can go online and write a letter, and it'll be uh, to that child's family within days. Uh, there's an app available now where you can keep real-time track of what's going on in the, the life and community of the child uh, who chose you. So uh, I have been praying about this. I'm excited for those of you who will say yes today, excited for those children who uh, get to choose us in the week ahead. We've been chosen by God. We have been loved by God. We've been chosen by God to become members of his kingdom. We've been chosen by God to be members of his body with Christ himself as our head. We've been chosen by God as ambassadors Chosen to actually be the medium for the message that God wants to communicate to a hurting world. A message of love and redemption and reconciliation, forgiveness and justice. May God guide us this week and every week to be the kind of people, the kind of neighbors that God has called us and created us to be. Would you pray with me? Loving God, Thank you for choosing us in your love and in your mercy, for choosing us to be your people and your children, to be your church, for choosing us not because of anything that we have done, but because of your love and because of the things that you want to do in us and through us. God, would you guide us into the art and discipline and grace of neighboring in the weeks ahead? Flood us with your spirit so that we're never relying on ourselves. And keep us looking to your son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.